the local schools. But it's also fantastic, uh, you know, that they're there. A lot of them lads are are also playing uh, youth rugby with with Craig's as well. So yeah. they're getting they're getting a lot of rugby both at schools level and youth level. We are one of the provinces that allow uh, people to play both schools and and clubs. Other provinces they're confined to one one or other. So at least at least uh, uh, the uh, young young lads and young girls here in Connacht get a better opportunity to to play um, at both levels. And it's, it's a special link then between the school and, and, and the club. And this has really, uh, that CBS is a very close link with Craig's and a lot of the, uh, the CBS lads are, are playing on youth teams uh, with, with Craig's. That's it. And that, 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 that's great to see that, uh, that connection between uh, the club and the college. And uh, so actually talking about Craig's, uh, that, that's our next item is the... Uh, What's going on? What's going on in Craig's rugby? It's really. Uh, it was a busy weekend last weekend on all levels, wasn't it? Yeah, another another good week. Uh, another good week for Craig's. Under uh, atrocious conditions on last Sunday, uh, Craig's qualified uh, for the, the the top four in in the league. Uh, they beat Castlebar well. Uh, they got five tries, and you know they were well on top uh, against uh, against Castlebar. I want particularly. Ran out very strong in the in the second half um, against them. The, the Castlebar put up a, a good performance, a good strong performance against uh, Craig's in the in the first half. But once Craig's got into the rhythm and started to move the ball wider, uh, they they ran in for uh, a number of tries and and won and won convincingly. As a as a result of uh, Castlebar being defeated uh, and getting nothing out of the game. Westport uh, has moved up into uh, fourth place. So the top team, Craig's, are, are top of the league. So now Craig's uh, play Westport on, um, on Sunday week in, in Craig's. As a result of being the top team, they get the home draw. And then the second team is Connemara, and they play Buccaneers in, in, uh, in Clifton. So they're your, your, top, your top four teams uh, that will be playing on uh, Sunday week, and then the final, the final league final will be held in the sports ground on on Sunday, the the twentieth of February. So let let's hope that the Craig's first team um, will make that big day again in in the sports ground. It'll be something for us all to look forward to, and something for a lot of the players that would have never played in the sports ground, and they will be looking forward to getting over Westport. To, to take it now. Westport are a good, strong t- team, a good, for- good, very strong forwards, and they they put it up to Craig's in 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 the league already. Craig's Craig's defeated them, but it was a, a tough game, so I wouldn't be taking Anthem for granted that we that we'll have it easy uh, with with Westport, and you know it's, it's it'll be again uh, it'll be all to play for, and let's hope that we get over that hurdle and that we'll have the big day on Sunday the 20th of February in the sports ground. That's it. And uh, moving on to underage of both boys and girls, and uh, of course the mini rugby as well. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, activity there uh, with, the, with both boys and girls, uh, you know, the, on, on the youths. We're now into um, the cup competitions, and there's, you know, there was quite a lot of friendlies last week in getting ready for, for cup games, and uh, some friendlies again this week. Uh, for for the cup, so they're they're just all getting uh, 
in, in shape and uh, 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 we, we look forward to a good cup co- campaign by a lot of our, our youth teams, both boys and girls. And uh, it will be it will be a busy uh, end of season, and uh, you know, over the next number of weeks, uh, with uh, a lot of activity uh, in in Craig's uh, with with so many um, youth teams, and then uh, mini rugby. Uh, mini rugby has had a, a few great outings and a few great games as well, and um, they're they're. Uh, you know, there's great numbers. You're you're talking in the region of 200 uh, mini rugby players, and you know it's absolutely fantastic to see that number taking uh, part uh, on a Saturday. And the one great thing now is uh, that the um, the mini rugby section have brought in some of the um, first team players and players uh, on that will be either playing first or seconds. And I have got them involved in refereeing games and getting involved with them as well. So it's great that you have the, these young uh, boys and girls coming forward and to see their 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 first team uh, players out out working working with them, refereeing games and helping out the uh, the coaches in, in in the mini rugby section. That's it. And moving on uh, next to uh, what's going on with uh, Connacht and uh, I suppose just just looking at the team. Um, as I said last week, that Dennis uh, uh, played part of the game against Glasgow. It didn't go very well for uh, for Connacht last week. Uh, they uh, underperformed and they had a, a yellow card. At a, uh, their number eight uh, uh, was got yellow carded, and for some reason they 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 fell away. Um, the Glasgow got a couple of handy tries at that particular stage. So let's hope that they up their performance uh, against Ulster. They're playing Ulster in the Kingspan Stadium uh, th- this evening or tonight. And uh, we hope that they, they will put up a, a very good performance. And as you rightly says, Dennis Buckley is is back uh, starting tonight. It's great to see him back after a long-term injury. Uh, we thought it might be the end of his career, but Dennis has worked extremely hard uh, to get back to fitness and to get back into the into the team and we we wish him well and uh, like he's he has been a, a tremendous help to us and craig's uh in helping us out and our first team and all the teams and having them around uh, having them around the club and there's a few more uh players uh, uh back in the side and uh, we are we are missing uh Bundyaki, uh hansen and uh Bielen, uh for for tonight's game they they are, are are in the Irish squad, and uh, probably Jack Carty is uh, training with the Irish team in that as well. So you 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 have you you have that situation during the internationals. They had hoped that uh, that there wouldn't be uh, these type of games uh, going going uh, going on during the international period, but as a result of COVID and games being called off and games not taking place, uh, the these games is a whole new fixture list and that they're out for for these games so there there'll be a lot of rugby uh played but come here uh, at the end of the day when when uh Connor players um it's a great opportunity for a lot of the younger lads in the academy and coming through that weren't getting games when when these players are away on international duty so that's a great opportunity maybe Connor might not have 
the great strength and depth as 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 the as the Leinsters and Munsters of this world or Glasgow. But at the same time, they, it 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 shows for these players that it will help them in the long run of playing at that particular level, and they're getting a, a right baptism of fire maybe before their time. But mm. they're 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 in there now and they're in the mix, and we'll have to see tonight. How they how a lot of them will perform against against Ulster. It's not going to be an easy game uh, uh, up up against uh, up against Ulster tonight. Uh, they they are going ex- extremely well. They're going extremely well in in all competitions at the at the at the present time. That's it, and uh, you know uh, as well as that. Now moving on to the international scene, uh, the the under twenty six nations starts tonight, and then of course a, a big weekend for Ireland uh, at home t- in the Aviva to. Uh, well, as we said, you can you can't write off this Welsh team, but there are a number of injuries, I believe, in, in the squad as well, for Wales as well. And um, you know, um, although I'm sure the the guy that will be replacing him will be uh, more than capable as well. But uh, you know, it, it, the the key thing is get, getting it off to a, a good start tomorrow and a, a win in the Aviva. I, I can't agree more with you, Aidan. Uh, you're correct. Like the uh, on the on the 20s, uh, uh, Six Nations starts tonight in Independent Park in Cork uh, against Wales. Uh, so this is always a great opportunity. We used to go and watch them in uh, in, in in Buccaneers grounds in 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 Athlone, and it was great when it was on our doorstep that we were able to to watch the games there. So um, it has changed now to to uh, Cork and. Uh, again, it's always great to watch rugby at that level and to yeah. see what promising under twenty players could you see maybe in a number of years' time that will come true. Because I used to be always trying to mark out in that loan when watching the games. Well, I wonder will he be good enough now to come true to make an international? And like a lot of times, you'd be correct, and and you'd you'd see some outstanding players, some some develop very well. Some uh, some doesn't. Some actually goes back and uh, doesn't make make the grade. But again, it's uh, it's rugby at the at the highest level at, at, and on the twenty level. And we wish the Irish team well uh, tonight. Uh, it was great to, to see in relation to the Irish team uh, for uh, for t- tomorrow in uh, in the Aviva to see three uh, kind of players uh, true that you have. Young Hansen and that there that has just joined us from Australia, uh, having a fantastic year with Connacht. He must have some, done some something good in um, in training in in uh, at training with the Irish team in Portugal because he, he we were we were all shocked that he actually has has made made the team. And you know he's an exciting player, uh, but he just burst onto the scene with Connacht this year. And now he's getting his first international cap uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, we we know what Bondiaki can do. Bondi brings the physicality and that there to to the Irish team, and that's what Andy Farrell and that there seems to like uh, about Bondi. Now we Robbie Hinshaw uh, loses out as a result. Uh, I don't know whether Robbie has uh, a slight injury or not, uh, but he's 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 not even on the on the subs bench. And then you have Fionn Bielan uh, on on the subs bench as as the cover for for the props. So that that's great, and I would agree with you that we we look forward to 
seeing we seeing Ireland get a get a good start against Wales. Wales are are are, are missing uh, a number of of key players, key players that were there over the last number of years with a lot of caps, but they they have put a you know when you look at their team they still have a a very strong team and Wales are never an easy team to beat and. This would be a, a great one to get a home victory to start off and then we're away to France uh, in Paris uh, next weekend. That's it. Well, uh, let's hope that Ireland win and it's a, it's a game you're going to as well. So, safe journey up to the game tomorrow with a victory. So, thanks very much for joining us today, Adrian, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you, Ian. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was Adrian Leddy from Craig's Rugby Club. And you're very welcome to this week's uh, Formula One view with myself, Aidan Raftery. And this is the second in a series of shows where we're going to be looking back at a driver or a racetrack from the past. And we're going to this week. We're going to be con- we're going to be concentrating on Ayrton Senna. Isn't that right, Michael? That's right, indeed. A flash in Japan doesn't that sound good? <laughs> that's a that that that's a that's a very good slogan. A very good slogan, and I think that's what we'll call this week's one. But uh, I suppose to, to kick off, really, Mar- um, uh, to kick off, really, Michael. I suppose if there's um, you know, if there's uh, that that tension and that rivalry. Uh, between uh, between Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton last year. I suppose back then, the the same the same could be said, or the same sort of rivalry could be said between uh, Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost. Alain Prost, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be the same? Be the same kind? Well, I think the rivalry between Ayrton Senna and Prost would have been probably more intense because it was kind of from from certainly from uh, Alain Prost's Prost's uh, side. It seemed to have been kind of hatred to a certain extent. It was to a certain extent, all right. It was, um, I, I suppose it wasn't as uh, on track dramatic, we'd say, like Hamilton. Uh, uh, it, was more off the, it was more off the, uh, off the track than... Oh, it was. There was bits on the track. It did spill onto the race. Um, maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just a bit more professionalism back then. It, you know, it, was, it is very much a gentleman's sport. And it was kind of seen that way a bit more back then. So you kind of... You know, you kind of kept it to yourself a bit. And uh, I, I think there was a kind of, um, you know, we don't like each other, but we're on the same team, so we get on. But, you know, yeah. if, if I if I have to take a dig at you, I will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sort of situation, you know. And, I mean, that came to a head, which... Uh, but it, it came dangerously to a head. Um... Yeah, to a certain extent, it did all right. Yes, I have to admit, with that accident. Of course, we're talking about the... The 1989 Formula One World Championship. My God, yeah. we're going back a bit there. Forty-third um, season of uh, Formula One. My God, it's been going around a long time, and it was uh, a particular season began on the 26th of March and ended on the 5th of November. So it was actually a late season as well. Not as late as last year. We hit hit into December, but it was still it was still a long season. And Alan Prost won, of course, his tor- third drivers' championship. But man, McLaren won the won the constructors that year but it, it, it also just peculiar about that season it saw an unprecedented number of entries 21 constructors originally entered feeling the total of what about 40 cars uh, I think 
first racing with Drew at the time uh, and leaving 20 constructors and 39 cars on the track. I don't, I don't think we see that these days. You know, if we if we see 24, it's a busy year. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> it. That's just the way it is, you know. But it was, this particular race was controversial. I mean, we, yeah. we, we know the two were at each other hammer and tongs. And I mean, you're going to get that. You've Ayrton Senna, who's one of the greatest drivers of all time. And Alain Prost, who's pretty close to him, you know, on, 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 in, in the scheme of things, Alan sometimes doesn't get, I think, the recognition he deserves because he was a very good and amazing driver and he had a good track record too, you know. So, I mean, you can't really, you can't take that away from him. But, um, you know, it, it, it was the penultimate race of the season, Japan. And, and I suppose things did brim brim a little bit there because of course Ayrton Senna needed to win the race and indeed he needed to win the next race too um, but I think he thought he was a bit of a shoe in um, but Japan was kind of the unusual one and Benetton really un- un- unwittingly played a bit of a role in influencing the outcome to a certain extent uh, and I mean it was intriguing questions came out of that a volcano of a race, you could only put it. You know what I mean? It was yeah. absolutely crazy. I mean, if you take away for a minute anything to do with Halborough, Honda, Marlborough, McLaren, and it's warring drivers and kind of divorce yourself from, from arguing over who did what and, uh, and that disastrous uh, level 47, you know, I think I suppose instead of, of the external influence that might have affected the situation again, um, which further kind of made things a bit crazy uh, and you know you're you're getting this such a similarity you're getting this um fight between two drivers who are rowing um i'm i'm sure max verstappen didn't row with hamilton but I, i'm sure if you got the two of them out for a pint now it could be a bit difficult <laughs> oh yeah but you see you know a lot, a lot can be solved or you know for for drivers like that sometimes a lot of things can be solved over a pint but uh, sometimes yeah. a a lot of heat arguments can happen over a point, a point as well. But uh... <laughs> well, that's very true. Yeah, that is very true. But I suppose yeah. it's it's that lap forty seven clash where the two McLarens kind of what will I say had an impromptu uh, mating dance. That's a good way of putting it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Got him on farm tonight. Absolutely. And I tell you, one man who, who of course, came after that is, is Sandro Nannini. He was the best part of a second adrift of, of, of the two guys. Uh, and he wasn't, he was kind of, he wasn't nursing his Benetton. But certainly he wasn't asking very much of it. Early stages, he was absolutely flying. And he had sprinted past Nigel Mansell's Ferrari off the line. And, and then he kind of settled steady, I suppose, to a certain extent, you know, uh, you know, a kind of, he wasn't really going to get past Prost yeah. and Senna. Uh, and in fact, I think, you know, I was actually looking at it online there the other day. And, and, and as Senna kind of, uh, as Sandro kind of came to the chicane and lap 47, I don't think he even saw Senna. Uh, all I think he saw was was Prost stricken car to one side, and, and he assumed that Senna was way up the road. You know, in actual fact, he was going to have to head into the pit next because, of course, he had tattered nose fins, as they say. You know, and yeah. you know, Sandro was what was he about thirty five seconds behind them, uh, and he was. You know, it seemed a bit crazy because he still wasn't pushing the car on Julie. 
which I thought was a bit unusual because, you know, I mean, you had he knew Prost was off the track. Okay. He didn't know anything about Senna, uh, you know, because I don't think he had spotted it or maybe just no one told him about it, which I thought was peculiar. Uh, and Senna kind of spending spending a lap slithering around all over the track, yeah. <laughs> trying to get back uh, as his front wing fell off altogether. Like, you know, the car was even a bit damaged, I think, by the time it came into the pit. But he did collect the new, low, uh, new nose, very slick, back out again uh, and driving what I could see was harder than I've ever seen Senna drive in my life. I mean, Sandro converted his advantage into about a, a five-second lead. But, I mean, if they had relayed the information to them that Senna was in the pits, he could have pushed that car a bit and he could have made life a little bit more difficult. Maybe Senna wouldn't have overtaken him. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't it have been marvellous to keep Senna behind you? I mean, you know, yeah. that, that that's kind of a badge of honour in itself, really, isn't it? That's it, because I, I think, really, from that point you made, really, I suppose only... Only the two drivers will be able to tell you what the actual situation was. Like you can only, <laughs> apart from that, all you can do is judge by what what you what you have seen. But what we see and the tactics that's going on in their heads are kind of two they are, are two different things. But I, I suppose really, kind of off the field and we off the track. And this is something that you and I have been kind of talking about off air. Was in yeah, that period where uh, Ayrton Senna. You know, during the period of his career, yeah. he was really the the amount of politics involved, and uh, dare dare I say, corruption, um, maybe that, and how on, on several occasions where he was probably wronged, and where you know other f- drivers probably turned against him at certain certain times, y- you know, where maybe he should have got decisions made in his favour as opposed to get like he, he was kind of getting penalty points where he shouldn't have but I, I think maybe you know it was a case maybe they, they, didn't, they didn't want him to win certain races and I think it was very much geared where they were I wanted to gear it for for maybe Prost at, at certain stages of certain seasons um, I thought it was very coming from obviously as we watched you and I would have seen the um, in the, the the movie about Ayrton uh, Senna. Yes, yes. You know, and that this well, is where I'm kind of kind of coming from. It just from looking at it, there was a there was a lot a few occasions where where he was wronged due to um, I suppose due to the politics of it. The politics was it actually, and of course, you know, uh, there was a lot of issues going on there as well. You know, as we know, um, the television rights uh, that went to Bernie Eccleston, and you know, with the best will in the world and being the most positive in the world, you, you know, you couldn't say Bernie was the most reliable person in the world, and there was something going on there too. I mean, I mean, for example, with Bernie before he left. They always, the F1 guys, you know, the commentators always asked them for a recommendation when they could track him down, which which wasn't every race. And they asked them for a recommendation and he'd always tell them, oh, I think someone's going to win. And without fail, not once did he get it wrong. Um, you know, that, that that's peculiar. That is peculiar. That kind of says something in itself to a certain extent, considering how big Bernie was um, to the Formula One Association. And it did seem to me that they were punishing Senna for some reason. And 
it, it harps back to something that's happening now. There's, there, there's a lot of people at the moment shouting almost a conspiracy theory, like there's something going on and Max Verstappen wasn't supposed to win and something's going to be going on, has been going on for a number of years at the minute to kind of push Michael Schumacher down from where he was and put someone else up there. And this, that, that year, especially 1989 to me, or 1979, sorry, I'm getting the year wrong now. You see, I'm getting old. Right. Uh, oh, no, it was 1989. God, I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. anyway, that, that, seemed, that seemed very similar to me too. Like, you know, Senna couldn't catch a break. Okay, I, I did look this up, uh, and it was something that I did have to, write notes about and at the time in 1981 the f1 disciplinary code um according to you like this article 56 yes i did look at it if a car got stuck in the middle of the track right marshals could move it to a safer place that's absolutely fine that is what happened if the driver was able to make it work just like senna did um he could go back on the track and back into the race now to me, they were arguing the regularity was the fact that Senna cut the chicane after the crash. You know, Senna Prost's cars ended up, you know, out of the track. Uh, and since Senna didn't come back at the exact point he left, he was disqualified. Now, I mean, that, that's massively controversial in itself. I mean, after all, to keep, keep from cutting the corner, he would have had to drive the wrong way back on the track, which, I mean, you know, absolutely lethal. And it was obvious that cutting didn't actually afford him any advantage at all, since, I mean, the crash costs in a massive amount of time. So, you know, he's not gaining anything from cutting the corner, you know? And, I mean, it just seems to be absolute insanity to me. When you, when you know, you know, that so many, so few drivers have been disqualified, why they would disqualify him for cutting a corner or taking the wrong route, I suppose you could say in another an, a, a, another way. I have no idea. I would also say from what I could see from the replay and from what I saw on a couple of other things online, it would have been safer to exit where he w- exited anyway. Even if he didn't cut the chicane, that would have been the safer exit. And, uh, in his case, you know, it was... It made no sense at all. I mean, the question remains, was the, the disqualification, disqualification too severe? Yes, I think everybody agrees yeah. it was. Were the FIA trying to make a point? That is very much like Hamilton and Verstappen in that, you know, Senna and, and Prost were fighting, you know, Hamilton and Max were fighting. Okay, Hamilton and Max were getting very dangerous on track. Uh, Senna and Prost could be very dangerous on track too. I mean, you know, that's what it was. Or, uh, or was it a more despicable reason? Was it corruption? Was there collusion? Was there an agreement made? To be able to say, um, Michael, uh, sorry for cutting across you, that, that maybe right. be kind of the Formula One version of, uh, you know, what you had, like sometimes in, in soccer, you have match fixing. Would, would, do you think to an extent that maybe that might have been, it might have been the Formula One version of match fixing do you know we don't like to say that and we don't like to think about it we don't like to say you know these things happen because i mean it's something we love uh, uh, and oh, something absolutely. we're very positive about but i mean 
God, it looks like it at times. And, you know, you have to give it... You have to, mean to come it. across nasty, but, you know, they're, they're kind of... At times, I'm not saying that it has happened the whole time in Formula 1, but in this, when you compare, you know, when you see what went on in Ayrton Senna's instance, the, the decisions that were... I mean, at a decision-making level... Yes. You know, it nearly kind of looks... And maybe I'm being controversial. I hope I'm not kind of... Cutting down on you, I don't mean to kind of cut anyone down or make make severely criticize anyone, but oh, it does it does have that it does have that kind of maybe air of kind of fixing or you know the way you'd have match fixing in soccer, it would be that the um, equivalent of that in but in Formula One. Well, I mean, you know, in recent years, you had. I don't look. I don't mean to pick on anybody because everybody works very, very hard, and there's no questions that way. But you had, you know, Mercedes uh, on its fourth season suddenly got two hundred hours extra testing because the FIA said, "Oh, um, we needed to test the tires," and nobody knew about it. They were caught out. And I mean, if you look at the team going from fourth in the constructors' championship to, you know, we're, we're finished at four out four races before the season's over, all of a sudden. You'd have to say something was going on there. And that's that 200 hours. I mean, there's rumours abound that Ferrari were walking and leaving and that the FIA have co-financed the Ferrari F1 team for five years after that. And that was the agreement. There's a lot of agreements like this. And, 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 you know, no one could understand why they had to get 200 hours and why they couldn't say, right, every team gets 20 hours. You know, it, it yeah. just seems to make, to, 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 to be silly. It just seems to be wrong. And I mean, back then, you know, Ayrton's disqualification, it wasn't consistent with what else was happening during the rest of the year. And I mean, consistency was nuts, but it was way more severe. I mean, I remember there was a driver fined 50,000 and banned for for the next race for missing uh, what basically was three black flags. And then later on, uh, another driver ignores eight black flags in the same year and only gets £20,000 fine. Um, you know, you know you're, you're talking about inconsistency. Why would you give one guy 50000 and ban from the next race and the other yeah. guy only 20000 when it's a worse situation? I mean... You obviously, it's like law, you know, something's being done. Now, the next thing has to be consistent with that unless you can make some sort of, you know, in, in this case, if if the guy ignored it 10, uh, you know, eight flags uh, first and then the other guy does three, well, then he should be getting less or he should be getting more. It depends on which way it is, but it just, it seemed absolutely, uh, I don't think anyone could could figure it out. Send himself. Couldn't accept the results at all. He couldn't accept the fact he had broken the rules, you know. And he yeah. couldn't accept that his, his championship crown had gone to Prost. I mean, you had poor, you know, you had Nanani. <laughs> he was in a great situation, you know. I mean, it's you know, he was kind of doomed fairly quickly because he looked in his mirror and suddenly he saw the big bad wolf who'd already kicked down the door of Alan Prost coming to kick his door down fairly quickly you know one little piggy in front of him and that would have been it you know I'm sure he saw it coming and the nanny got second which you know he was charmed with he just wanted third he thought he was you know absolutely made up by this and even he was kind of shocked by it, you know, and 
uh, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. There, there was one thing I actually liked about Alan Prost. And I mean, after the race, he just said, Ayrton came behind me. Uh, I didn't see him come and I couldn't do anything to avoid him. I'm very sorry to have to finish the championship on such a bad incident. I mean, even he knew himself. Uh, he taught himself it was over the moon. Now, I, I, I suppose the ruling may have been mad. But I mean, even if Senna had a one in Japan, he had to retire in Australia, which was the last race. So Prost would have got it. But I mean, if it was a role reversal there, Michael, you know, like we were yeah. Prost was in Senna's position. Yeah, he would have been. He would have done exactly. In fairness, he's saying, "Oh, he wouldn't have been like this, or he wouldn't have been like that." But I mean, the, the nature of sport—you work so hard at it, and when you get to that level, and you actually, you, you know, you get to a shall we say, a title decision race, to decide yes. race, mm. and it comes out in your favour, you're going to celebrate and you're going to be delighted and you're going to be elated. So um, I kind of, to an extent, I don't really buy what uh, Prost said because, I mean, he was criticising Senna for doing something which he probably would have done himself. Well, that's the thing. Um it happened recently. We, we were talking about Schumacher recently and uh, that incident with uh, Villeneuve in the last race that Schumacher cut across Villeneuve and caused the accident and, and, and Schumacher ended the race and Villeneuve keeps going. And, you know, he didn't know he had done it. It was just a knee-jerk reaction. It was instinct. And what I liked about it is, you know, I saw an interview with Damon Hill was made in the, the thing Schumacher and Damon and Michael Schumacher never got on. And the one thing I found is Damon said, you know, it was a bad thing. You know, if I put if you put yourself in his in his car that day, you know, would I have done it? And he kind of just smiled and said nothing, i.e. there's a possibility. But the smile will tell you everything. Absolutely. Yeah, it tells it all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with say with saying and Prost. You can't tell me Prost wouldn't have done it, too. I mean, if you don't have that killer instinct which yes you're going to make mistakes there's, there's nobody yeah. arguing we all make mistakes none of us are, are perfect you know you're yeah. going to make mistakes if you have that killer instinct and it is the only way you're going to win um, mm. it doesn't matter who you are you could do Prost could have done exactly the same thing and Senna didn't see him coming um, you know that that's the way it seemed to me now, they're both magnificent drivers they're both great people you can't blame any of them for, for I, I don't think you can, you know, I, I think booing a driver for, for making a mistake that looks like it's in his favour, well, you know, he might not meant it to have done it that way, it's just his, the it's nature just, of the beast, really, and I mean, you can't really blame Senna for that, it was maybe a little bit calculated, I still think... It was, it was kind of very few, like we, we, we've, we've touched earlier on where a lot of decisions that went against Senna. So really, he was probably thinking of all the decisions that went against him. And the one decision that was the most important was the one that went for him. And that's probably why he was so elated. <laughs> yeah, that's very true, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it's just kind of an interesting kind of twist. But I suppose... Moving up, moving on to kind of you know, I suppose the um, the the ultimate ending, uh, you know, his very last race where the the unfortunate uh, tragic uh, crash happened. Oh yeah, very sad. It was a very sad time, and like I think you you know, even though, and I thought it was, you know, one of, one of those moments where even though the two of them didn't get on, when, mm. when 
found out that uh, he had actually died. And you, you could see it at the end of the movie um, where Alan Prost was actually crying at his funeral. So yes. he did all these arguments and all that at the funeral. You know, he did he, he did miss. And I think all the drivers kind of, you, you know, because, uh, I mean, look, he was one of their own. So despite any arguments that you would have had, with uh, you know, it's it's like a team. It's like two teams to play against each other. Some players in one team don't get on with players in another team. But if anything happens to that player, one or other of the players, then you know it's uh, all the rivalry and all the things that went were were said goes out the window. Well, you yeah, know, you, yeah, you don't have to like someone to respect them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, you can disagree with someone and respect them because you know they are what they are, and that's it. And I mean. You know, when you look back at it, there, there was the fights and there was the dicing. But sometimes them sort of things can bring people together once once it's all over. I mean, you know, for all we know, when, when Senna retired within a few years, himself and Alan Prost could have been going down to the vineyard and having a couple of glasses of wine or something. But you, you see, you, you never know. I mean, that was all done in front of the cameras. Maybe off the cameras, it could have gone on well, but no one... No, I knew it was all. It could have been all from the for the cameras. So, but I suppose that that was a very tragic um, race and what happened and the whole thing around us. I, uh, I, I, but, I think it shocked everybody because you know we've seen Formula One cars going into a tire wall at two hundred kilometers per hour, two hundred miles per hour. You know, and the driver comes out and he's he's a little bit hurt, but he's okay. And um, you know, and it was just such a gentle little tip against the wall it, it, it was just the way everything was designed at the time the, the yeah. car they, they just assumed if you're going to crash the most likely place you're going to hit something is head on you know yeah. and the second most likely place is someone's going to ram into the back of you so the kind of side of the car wasn't considered and it was just the way he hit the wall the way his head went and snapped and went across I think everyone was shocked and and it's not even that they're shocked I mean you know someone like Alan Prost could be sitting there going holy god that could have been me just as easy you know they can identify with it and uh, and I mean that that, that takes a lot too there's mutual respect argue or don't there's mutual they're kind of brothers in arms to an extent really you know even though some drivers don't get on with one another there's still that mutual respect you know and um you know that they're all brothers in arms, I suppose, if you will. And uh, but I think uh, you know, and it's an ironic thing to say, and I don't mean to be facetious in saying it. The one positive thing to to come out of it, even though look, you know, he was a legend of a driver, even though it, it, even though like he did lose his life, and it was a pity because he was great, a great guy and all, a great driver and a lovely, a lovely guy and all that. You know, the, there was, uh, the, the one positive thing, if you can call it a positive thing, was maybe the the, um, the FIA learned a lot from it. And, you know, the, there was a lot of safety features or a lot of, you know, safety after that was taken a lot more serious. And whatever changes were made by the FIA or whatever organization or the things that were implemented led to kind of, you know, to a certain extent, there probably are. There are, as we know, there are still going to be always going to be crashes, but not as many as went would have went on probably in uh, Senna and Prost's day compared. You know, compared to now. Oh, indeed, uh, that goes without doubt. Really, to be quite honest with you, I mean, there was the killer years even before that, where uh, 
you know, I, I, I've heard people saying, you know, it was crazy to nearly died and someone pulled over, thank God for small mercies, you know, in races. And back then, yes, the cars weren't what they used to be, but it did have it, it, it did have knock on effects, I think. First of all, in a certain way is kind of showed the fragility of of the racing driver you know they, they're they're like gods they're strolling around they're on more money than cents and you know people are on them and you know they really are you know if you're into a driver you're into a driver if you're into a footballer you're into a footballer and you know you're you're, you're very positive and I, I i think that kind of pushed the fragility of everything and i think the fia had to sit up i mean ayrton senna you, you know, if even if it was a lesser driver, I don't think it would have been treated the same as if it was yeah, because it's Senna, which is wrong. But yeah. I honestly don't think it would have been. But there was one other point, and I know I'm going back, and you can give out to me afterwards and complain, complain, complain. But there was one man who took safety so seriously, he put in more safety rules and more safety systems than anybody else in history because he was so taken aback, so shocked by the accident with Senna. I mean, it really deeply disturbed him. And that was Michael Schumacher. He just, he couldn't, he couldn't get over it. You, you, you know, we even saw when he matched Senna's sort of record, he was in tears, you know, it just, it had such, Ayrton Senna had such an effect on him that he just, he was head of the safety committee for the FIA for, for so long. And, you know, that's a good thing. If, if anyone's making drivers safer, that's a good thing, especially in those machines. Can you imagine going into a tire wall and those things like at that sort of speed or, or heaven forbid Monaco, you know, where there's barriers everywhere, but they're, they're metal barriers. <laughs> you know, Heaven forbid you go into something like that. Now, a lot of people have complained that it's, you know, the cars look uglier because of the halo system and everything like that. But it, it's about racing. We all love racing. But my God, don't put the driver in any peril whatsoever, he needs to be safe. But I, I think that the, that's the tragic thing about uh, what happened to Ayrton Senna. It's a shame that it took his passing or him to be killed in that. In but I suppose it's po- kind of poetic in some ways that he died something do, doing something he loved. But it's a shame it took that to happen. For the FAI, for the FIA, and for uh, all the safety organisations to t- to stand up and actually do something about and improve safety levels, it's a shame it took the death of a legend. I suppose. Now it's great that the 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 um, things were implemented, but it's a shame it took that before it was done. I agree. I agree. They thought they were doing. Uh... Everyone thought they were doing, uh, making significant step forwards and thought they were doing great things and passing each other on the back. And then suddenly it's, oh, my God, we're not doing enough, you know. And it is, it is, I do agree with you completely. It is bad that they didn't see that coming. But again, you see, it's, oh, there's positives, there's negatives with everything. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we have to balance it. We have to say that they have done, in fairness to the to the FIA, and like we have been criticising them as well. But I, I think we have to acknowledge the good things that the FIA has done as well. And I think to, to for balance and in fairness to them, we have to give them credit where credit is due. They have taken it seriously. And the, the, the things that they did implement, 
did make a huge difference uh, to the safety levels of the drivers, which is is great. So I think we have to commend them as well. You know, it's kind of the the cloak and dagger. You stab them with one hand, <laughs> you hands with another hand. But credit where it's due, they did. You know, they did take that on board, and uh, you know, and you know, I think drivers are even though it still is a risky sport. They still, um, you know, it still is a lot safer compared to back then. So, you know that that's that's good to see. So, listen, thanks very much, Michael, for uh, for doing Formula One. Um, looking looking back at uh, past drivers, and we we'll look forward to doing it all again next week. No problems, my pleasure as always, Aidan. Thanks very much, and that was Michael O'Grady, our Formula One expert. Very welcome to the line out with myself, Aidan Rafferty, and as always, we have uh, Michael Cook. Hello, Michael. How are you? Are you well? Many thanks, Aidan. Yourself? Not too bad. No, not too bad. Thanks for very much for taking the time out to do the podcast with us. Yeah, so um, a big weekend in uh, rugby for Ireland and uh, kicking off the Six Nations this weekend against Wales. It's a home game. I, I think a win for a win is key, and it'll set us up nicely if we can get that win against Wales tomorrow in the Aviva and uh, also like with the t- with the team selection and Mac Hansen as well uh, starting what are your thoughts yeah well I'm not surprised really to be honest to see Mac Hansen playing uh, I had been singing his praises here on on the show before and justifiably so because he's been phenomenal since he joined uh, Connacht from the Brumbies and he's been an excellent addition to the side and of course James Lowe getting injured we knew well in advance uh, his absence was going was well flagged so there was a vacancy there on the wing and at the moment Mac Hansen was the man for was the man that uh, was best placed to fill that void in the Irish side. And given his try-scoring prowess, his pace on the wing, and of course his all-round rugby brain, he will be a fantastic addition to Ireland this weekend. And um, I suppose really looking at the the team selection, first of all, what are your thoughts? And do you see any surprises? Are there any surprises in that starting 15? And I suppose looking um, looking at this Wales team, what do Ireland need to do to to get a win here? And uh, because you know, usually, usually against Wales, it's not usually easy to beat to beat this Wales team. But the Wales have a number of injuries as well, don't they? They do, yes. Uh, to answer the first part of your question, anyway, I don't really see any other surprises in the team. Um, the reason some big names aren't playing is because of injuries. Keith Earls, for instance, is uh, nursing a hamstring problem and he's to undergo a scan to see how long he'll be out for. Robbie Henshaw, for me, should be starting if he was fit. But he, of course, uh, suffered an adductor issue there recently and he's undergoing rehab at the minute. So, Andy Farrell, I think, is doing the right thing by not picking him because if he still has to rehabilitate from the injury, the last thing you want to do is um, for things to deteriorate because we have an important game coming up against France. And also, Rob Herring is out injured as well. It's understood that uh, he got injured in training. But yeah, no, um, to, you talk about the, the, the Welsh side. They are missing a lot of players as well. Uh, Lee Halfpenny, Josh Navidi, Justin Tipperick, George North, there is a, a raft of players out there is a raft of players out injured. But having said that, they're still not to be underestimated, Wales, because they still have six starting lions in their team and they still have quality players like Louis Rees Samet on the wings and Josh Adams, who is 
traditionally operating as a winger, but he's been uh, so chosen to operate as a centre this weekend. So it's a different dynamic playing from the centre, but still the Irish defence had better beware of him. So, you know, they, there is a high level of absenteeism in the Welsh side. Um, so that's kind of this why the fact that they're the reigning champions shouldn't cause Ireland to fear too much, but they still have a relatively strong side, so they're not to be underestimated by any means. So um I suppose really I suppose really looking at uh, looking at the um look, looking at us, uh what where what what would your prediction be for the game can you see anything other than an Ireland win coming out of this game I think uh, an Ireland win to be honest with you is highly conceivable indeed um, and I, you, uh, you, you would, you would think so because um, you know it's good. It's good from an Ireland perspective that we talk about the high levels of absenteeism and injuries in Wales. But Ireland have have uh, they have a few injuries, but not as many, and they they have uh, more availability within their squad. And what you would have seen from the Ireland in, in the international side over the autumn internationals was very encouraging. And even afterwards, like, I mean, when they were speaking to the media afterwards, they weren't getting overly carried away. And they were still cognizant of the fact that there was bigger tests ahead. So you would be uh, you would be encouraged by that as an Irish fan looking on. Now, of course, obviously we're playing in a tournament of different magnitude to the pre to the autumn internationals um, before Christmas. But having said that, if they can manage to replicate uh, some of the things they were doing before the, uh, the before the Christmas break, you would definitely be highly confident of an Irish victory. And I suppose, really, if you compare them, you know how, how last year's Six Nations went, maybe pre- preparations wise and form wise, uh, there was a kind of a, it was a mixed bag, I suppose, uh, results wise and performance wise. When you compare last year to this year. You know, it is like night and day. There's a there, there is a difference. Like there's a much more positive feel in the air about this Ireland team compared to last year. There is definitely yes, because um, you know we were came in on the back of an underwhelming Autumn Nations Cup the the prior year. And, you know, our, our performances were nothing to write home about. But this year, now we're coming in on the back of an eight-match winning streak. Now, we must treat it with a degree of caution because of that eight-match winning streak. Uh, five of those were international friendlies. So it's it's good to see that the Irish side are, aren't um, let, aren't losing the runnings of themselves by any stretch of the imagination. And I suppose last year, the Six Nations got off to a nightmare start in that we lost our, both our first two games against Wales and France. We uh, played the, uh, the, the same two teams in our first two games again this year. Wales at home, followed by a trip to Paris, uh, to France, to uh, one of the fastest improving sides in the world. So that's all the more reason why why you would be hoping for an Irish victory this weekend? It would uh, give them something. It would it would uh, give them a nice confidence booster ahead of a trip to Paris, which is a, a fortress in rugby terms. And I, I suppose looking ahead, looking at the Six Nations overall this year, I suppose uh, where do you, where can you see a where can you see Ireland finishing? Who's for the wooden spoon? And I suppose who's going to win it? But I suppose. Before you can kind of think about who's going to win it, you kind of, you know, look at the, I suppose, the candidates, maybe a lot of people, some people will be tipping England, but England have injuries to key players more and most notably to Owen Farrell. As you just said there as well, uh, Wales have a number of injuries. Um, Ireland are, are going well, so I suppose they'd be there, they'd be uh, in contention as well. But uh, I suppose a lot of people might, might, might 
go for France on the on uh, to to win it. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, yeah, I suppose I at the moment I'm still thinking France will win it. I know I said the same thing this time last year, and France we saw them uh, quite inconsistent last year. They played mesmerising rugby when on form, but they also flattered to deceive, suffering uh, two defeats. One of them, I think, was on the final was on the final day against Scotland. Uh, they, you know, so they flattered to deceive occasionally, but on their game, you know, if they we all know what the French on their day that they are just they're flamboyant. They're deadly they're a force to be reckoned with and especially now with their autumn nation the the, the autumn internationals you know an impressive win over the all blacks a first win over australia in 31 years they have all the hallmarks of a team that's moving in the in the right direction so i definitely think that france are are justified favorites for this and it's been a it's 12 years now since they last won it so it that's a famine by their standards so you know it's a, obviously like, I mean, you know, we all know about France's capacity to, to capitulate on the day, but all things considered, I think they, they, they are the, the, the strongest, most talented squad in this competition. And you noted there correctly, England do have a lot of injuries uh, to key players. Owen Farrell is ruled out for the entire Six Nations. Now, that said, they have Marcus Smith coming in at out half, and he is a quality replacement to have. But still, I suppose they'd prefer to have Owen Farrell. They're also without um, Manu Tulagi, Anthony Watson, Corey. Courtney Laws and a host of other uh, big names. But that said, a lot of those uh, names, some of them are going to be coming back towards the latter end of the Six Nations. And I think England will fare better once uh, towards the back end of the Six Nations when they get some of their big names back. But that's why I don't see them winning them because they won't have a full deck of cards to choose from for the entire Six Nations. And Wales, of course, the defending champions, of course, I, it's the same for them. They are, a, they are a depleted squad at the minute and that's why I think they'll find it difficult to hold on to their crown. Scotland, as we saw last year, you know, they got big results. They managed to beat both England and France last year and they they made Ireland work very hard to get a victory. Ireland were very lucky to beat them that day. So Scotland are by no means out of the race uh, for success, but I still see Ireland and France and England as being a little bit ahead of them at this point in time. And uh, of course, uh, next next on the uh, on the schedule is, um, I suppose, the the the, um, the passing of uh, former Munster and Ireland player uh, Tommy Tommy Kieran, and uh, sadly passed away at the age of eighty three. Um, a great rugby man. That's for sure. Yes, uh, a distinguished international who represented Ireland for many, many years. I think he, what was it, 158 points he scored during his career. He was an outstanding player. And of course, he went on to um, achieve greater success as a manager. He guided Ireland to a triple crown in the 1980s. And that was a terrific achievement because triple crowns back then were few and far between. And also, of course, he masterminded a famous win for Munster over the All Blacks back in the late 70s. So, yes, he's uh, definitely had a he's definitely one of the one of the greatest luminaries that Irish rugby has ever produced and yeah he was a great servant to both Ireland and Munster and um, of course uh, finally lo- looking ahead uh, this evening um, Connacht are at home to our uh, playing um, Ulster in the URC and uh, that's a, that's a, an interesting game for Connacht so just to kind of discuss that one a bit what are your thoughts on that match tonight uh, I suppose obviously with, with a number of players 
on, on duty with Ireland. It still doesn't look like a bad team. I suppose the, the, the return of uh, Dennis Buckley is, is great to see as well. I know he played last weekend, um, but this this is kind of his first start. It's It's an interesting game in many ways, isn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose you did say there's a lot of international contingent are out of the fray. Now, uh, of course, that said, you may, you correctly noted there, Dennis Buckley is his first start since coming back from injury. And Tom Daly makes a welcome return from injury as well. And so it's it's a good chance for some of the, the guys that have been out of the fray for a while to get some game time under their belt. And despite the fact that uh, Connacht, you know, they mightn't have the likes of Bundy Aki to call upon because he's involved with Ireland, they do of course still have you know Tom Daly's a big player to have within your ranks and they have Kieran Marmion as well who's been the form scrum half this year so Ulster too will be boosted by the fact that uh, Michael Lowry and Robert Balakune have been temporarily relieved from international duty um, they have been allowed back to the club and Stuart McCluskey has returned from injury for them so Ulster they have their hands strengthened as well by some players coming back but Connacht uh, should hold no fear you know they have already beaten Ulster when they when they both sides had a full deck of cards to choose from. And of course, Connacht, you know, we have seen them this season. They have been moving in the right direction. It's just where they've been going wrong, really, is just their inability to close out games. Um, the inability to close out games has not been catching them. That was the case against both Leicester and Stade Francais. And so, like, if Connacht can fix that and if they can bring their A game, then they would give themselves a good chance. That's it, and uh, we'd like to wish Ireland all the best, uh, the best of luck tomorrow, and of course, Connacht this evening, and indeed Munster, and and uh, that as well. So, uh, but I think tomorrow is, is is a big game, and a game someone every everyone else is looking forward to as well. So, listen, thanks very much for taking the time out to do the line out with us this week, and we look forward to looking back on all on those matches again next week. Um, next week, Michael. Thanks, Aidan. No problem. Thanks very much, and that's Michael Cook, our rugby expert. Hello and you're very welcome back to uh, to Friday Sport with myself, Aidan Raftery and the show is always kindly sponsored by Best Drive here in Roscommon Town. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've come to the end of the ta- we've come to the end of the show. Thank you very much to everyone who's tuned in. We hope you enjoyed all the uh, all the interviews and discussions we've had throughout the show. We hope uh, if you're going to any events and especially uh, that everyone enjoys tomorrow's game, big game between Ireland and uh, Ireland and Wales.